Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And today's guest is Dominic Duffy, President and CEO of Mandalay Resources Corporation, a Canadian-based natural resources uh, company with producing assets in Australia and Sweden, with care and maintenance and development projects in Chile and Canada. Dominic is going to talk around reserve replacement and how junior... Uh, producers like Mandalay are manifesting success deep uh, success in deeper underground mines, including the use of remote loaders, underground exploration drilling from existing workings. So uh, with no further ado, I'd like to welcome uh, Dominic to the uh, podcast. How are you doing, Dominic? Excellent. Thanks, Rob. Uh, thanks for having me on here. Uh, Belinda Labert, our Chief Development Officer, put me onto your podcast a few weeks ago and they've been very good listens thanks for that yeah appreciate the feedback um right as we as we actually start all these podcasts i wondered if you can give the audience a background about yourself so when you um first got into the mining industry to sort of present day yeah okay so i'm a mining engineer i graduated in sydney in the 90s and then took graduate job with BHP at their Cannington mine up in Queensland. Uh, I only did that for a year before saving money really to go backpacking through Asia and a bit of working holiday visa in Japan before deciding to get back to the real world and back to mining. Um, And that's when I moved back to Western Australia, worked in underground mines in the goldfields uh, around uh, Southern Cross um, before moving back to Queensland uh, where I worked at Eloise Copper Mine, which was a very deep, difficult, hot copper mine where I eventually became underground manager there. And then in 2004, moved across to Peru working with Minato Vulcan, which was, is a... Peruvian owner-operator, so quite a cultural shock, um, working for Western countries my whole career um, beforehand and working for an actual Peruvian operator, um, but it was definitely an excellent experience. Then moved across to Venezuela, working with Heckler. Um, that was back in the Chavez regime, back before he passed away, So, and it was sort of coming to a stage where Western countries were being forced out of the country at that stage. So I stayed on till the end um, with Hecla until we were pretty much forced out of the country um, and then moved down to southern Chile working at the Cerro Bayo mine with um, Coeur d'Alene Mining. Um, but that was in 2008 when the GFC hit. Um, Core was spending money on their Palmarejo to try and start that up in Mexico. So decided to put Cerro Bayo on care and maintenance and sell the property. And that's where Mandalay got involved. They purchased Cerro Bayo. I stayed on as general manager. That was around about 2010. Uh, a few years later became COO and then 
over two years ago when our old CEO moved on, um, became CEO of um, Mandalay Resources. Okay, thanks for obviously giving a, a brief overview of your background. Um, one question I've got is, what would you say the main differences are between, say, working in Australia or Canada compared to South America? Uh, regulation is a lot of it, and I, I'd also say values, especially if you're working for the locally owned company, the, the values are very different under which they operate. I don't think as much emphasis is put on community relations and all stakeholders than you would see with a Western company. Um, I think that is to the detriment of these companies. Um, and I do find it comforting that Western companies are held to a higher standard. And do you think that may slowly be changing? Oh, definitely. definitely yeah. and, and you do see that. I think the country that has advanced the most is Chile, without a doubt, with the Chilean um, operators. And it is, it's a slow change, but you definitely do see a change. And, companies being held more accountable now for how they operate in these regions. Yeah. Um, wonder if you can give the audience an overview of uh, Mandalay Resources. Um, and then I've got some uh, questions that I want to uh, ask you. Yeah, so Mandalay, we're a gold um, and gold antimony producer. So we have the Bjorkdal gold mine in Sweden, in Sweden. Um, that was an open pit underground operation. Last year we shut the open pit and it's pure underground operation, processing about 1.3 million tonnes per annum. Um, then we have the Costafield mine in Victoria, Australia, which is where we're focusing our discussion to, today on the gold fields of Victoria. So okay. It's a gold antimony mine in Victoria. Yeah. Um, and can you give us, obviously, we're speaking about the um, obviously uh, operation in Victoria. Can you give us some history around the Victorian goldfields? Yeah, definitely. Um, so it's quite a interesting and amazing history, you'd almost say. Um, so it's been one of the major gold producing areas in the world. Um, to date, Victoria has mined 2,400 tonnes of gold, so 77 million ounces. So it's produced approximately 2% of all the gold ever mined in the world. And within that, probably, I think it's 32% of all of the mine, gold mined in Australia has come from Victoria, which only accounts for about 3% of the total land mass. So when people think about gold mining within Australia, generally people think about Western Australia, which is synonymous with gold mining. Um, yet, if you're looking at the what has the best returns for area and the more significant grades also, um, Victoria historically is the area you'll be looking at. Um, and so this all started way back in 1850s where the gold rush in Ballarat eventually moving up to Bendigo first started and it, it really was with that gold, Melbourne was built in Bendigo, Ballarat, and the British Empire paid off their, all their debt in the late um, 1800s as a result of that. And so history has, the gold mining has continued all through the 1900s, mainly with epicenters in Bendigo and Ballarat, um, but especially Bendigo, um, it's, 
Uh, I read somewhere recently that it's a mine that it's had 11 shafts reaching over a kilometre deep. Um, so within Victoria, the gold is deposited in narrow vein quartz systems. So for the old time miners to go that deep, the grades did have to be significant. Um, and so, and that is part of the, the issue also that you have found with Victoria. Um, you do have, can have extremely high grades, but um, a lot of it occurs in these quartz blowouts where they can be difficult and expensive to explore on, explore for. And so that's why probably over until recently, in the last 50 years, interest has um, constantly been waning, had been waning in Victoria. Um, people didn't want to spend the money, the exploration dollars to try and find these things that can be difficult to find. Um, and you'd seen the Bendigo's Ballarat store mines. They, recently they've been having a lot of up and downs, um, hadn't been consistent with their production. So you had seen that people just weren't really interested in the whole area of Victoria and had forgotten the history of what this state had supplied and the potential of the, these super high-grade bonanza deposits that could be found within that area. However, that has changed over the last few years and it's probably um, the hottest real estate for gold explorers um, currently in the world. Um, and what's, what's been the sort of the, the main catalyst for change in Victoria over the last few years? Pretty simple, really. You'd have to just say the Fosterville mine, um, which is owned by, <coughs> sorry, Kirkland Lake. Um, so it, like the other operations I, I mentioned in recent history, had had its up and downs. It had been pretty constant producer. However, um, these mines have very variable in grades, and I think it was averaging around about eight grams per ton. It had been owned by multiple owners in recent history, and then they found this one load, which significantly is down deep. And, I don't know the exact grade of it, but it's definitely over 30 grams per tonne. So from overnight, um, you're looking at a state that has average mines that can make money um, to having all of a sudden a world-class deposit, probably the most significant underground gold mine in the world, um, just almost showing up overnight with millions of ounces in reserve. And the significant thing is that it's down deep. And so historically in Victoria, there's a lot of mines and a lot of them have been mined shallow, shallow. And as interest has dried up, had dried up in Victoria over recent years, just yet exploration technology was advancing, um, but there wasn't much interest in the state. So these areas that in a lot of parts of the world or even Australia would have been explored, they just haven't. And people have realized that now so you have a lot of companies and a lot of interest coming back into the state um, where people want are looking at starting to look under these old mines um, that have had nothing done under them before um, and you have you also there's also a caveat on top of that um, when you look up north in victoria as well that you have the the bendigo the gold fields of 
Victoria, as I mentioned, produced 77 million ounces. And then all of a sudden, north of Bendigo just stops and there's nothing. And the only reason for that is that everything moves to undercover. So you don't have these outcropping veins, et cetera. Um, so it's a huge untapped potential up north of Bendigo, which the state is starting to, has been um, publicising a lot. And you now have chalice up there drilling quite heavily. Um, and you would expect that there will be something coming out from north of Bendigo, this area that's never been drilled before. And But around where we're exploring, we have our operating mine. Um, for the first time, you have majors coming in. Newmont, a few years ago, picked up the property just north of us. Um, you have South Fosterville. They've come in. They're a brand-new exploration company with um, quite a big following, Mawson's, et cetera, and a lot of people trying to pick up land. Yeah. Um, and how's the state government been involved with the, with the change and interest in obviously the Victorian gold fields? Yeah, they've been very proactive. So um, even before Fosterville was found, um, they'd been publicising the, the whole area significantly and pushing for investment within the area. So you have the, the Geological Society of Victoria, GSB, so um, they've been extremely proactive. So they've been carrying out, they've been carrying out seismic surveys of quite a big scale um, to the north of Bendigo and over the, a lot of areas of the state. And so um, the seismic survey, it's very difficult for single parcel holders to do this because you want a very large land holding. So this Geological Society of Victoria has been doing all of this for the companies to try and get interest within the area and they've been doing a lot of mapping and so all of that information is free um, and then so they've been doing this for years before the Fosterville find and then all of a sudden overnight yes everybody's interested in it and really they didn't have to do anything but all of the information is out there now and so there's a lot of information that um, companies can come in and just take and start looking over it and um, trying to find areas of interest and possibly areas that have been worked um, previously. So um, typically, so typically they also have been speaking to the smaller producers and explorers to see what they want um, them to be doing. So they've been very proactive um, on that side. Uh, on that side, and. and Recently, they a good example. They recently put out ten to five um, parcels of land in proximity to Fosterville, and the they just did not comprehend the interest that they would have in this, and so it was more than what double what they were expecting. Um, people putting in tenders for these parcels of land, so to a degree, it does slow the process down as well. Um, with them being able to um, release new land. But they have taken very holistic scale look at the whole state and trying to get everybody involved. So I think they've been very proactive. Um, also, the Victorian state government has dipped their finger into the pie as well. They've recently, just this year, brought on board a brand new gold royalty um, in Victoria, 2.75%. Of course, this brings more money into the state. 
um, state government, but like any royalty, it does put at risk the borderline operators who do um, employ just as many um, employees as the large operators, but that's always the case with new royalties. Yeah. Would, would you say, because of obviously, uh, and the time of this recording, obviously the, the gold price is, is probably starting a uh, sort of a bull market and, and will go higher. I take it that will ease, uh, the, obviously mining companies that will help with their, with their costs and expenditure moving forward. No, it definitely, it does help, yes. So yeah. um, I think everybody's in a pretty good position now. And it also helps Victoria significantly with these um, new explorers coming into the state, being able to find the financing to explore is a hell of a lot easier than it would have been 12 months ago. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, so what do you see happening both exploration and mining sort of in Victoria going forward? And I suppose the short, medium and longer medium term. Yeah, so I, I, I think in the short term, you'll see more companies trying to pick up land and the government trying to streamline the process a little um, to make it a lot faster for these companies um, to pick up their parcels. As long as Fosterville continues on this similar production profile to what they currently have, you will see um, investors very willing to put a lot of money into these um, exploration plays, um, especially a lot of them around old workings where there is potential to find, have success down deep. Um, because I, I go back to again that this, what Fosterville found was something that nobody expected and it was down deep. And the, the, the structural uh, nature of these deposits where you find, generally find that they occur um, you, you need the combination of the right geology um, that will act as a gold trap, the right type of structure and quartz blowout within these structures um, that you, you will find discoveries over time, but they won't be quick because you, you need to find these right structures. You have to find the correct geology and then you have to find where you have these bonanza grades within these structures. So you would hope that the investment stays there in the longer terms for a few of these other discoveries to be found because I am certain that there are more foster bills out there and you will with this. I think slow burn of capital continuing to be invested in the state, you will find some um, significant further finds um, within Victoria over the coming years. Um, the investment in the state now is X-fold what it was um, three, four years ago before the swan load was discovered at Fosterville. Yeah. Um, and how do you see the changes in Victoria affecting obviously your, uh, your company and um, change to your exploration strategy? So our exploration strategy, it, it definitely has changed significantly and that we're, personally, we're looking at a lot further than we were previously, for one. So because previously there, there was a lot of feeling that we just have to add to our mind life. So I was always keeping it pretty tight within the, within the known proximity of our current minds. Um, however, our most recent discovery, which was your load, which 
um, we're currently mining, that was a kilometre away from our uh, the existing workings that we had. And so we were always trying to keep it within, within a kilometre, but the success of that has proven that you can definitely branch out further um, because the high-grade potential within this area is, is huge. And so we're currently exploring separate corridors. So we've historically just operated in one single corridor. We're now branching out in two other corridors and drilling under old workings. Um, of mines that did carry significant grades in the time, but um, the old timers found they tended to die out or were generally moved by structures. Um, and so we have, we'll also be looking deeper, obviously. Um, the, the, we, last year we kicked off a deep hole program, so killing, drilling over a kilometre below our current deposits. And so that is going back to looking at for the correct geology. So everyone's looking for the correct geology, where these structures exist, or where something like the swan load um, could be found. So um, it's definitely reignited our passion in the geology and exploration um, in the area. And I'm confident that we'll have um, further significant discoveries going forward. Yeah. Um, and what are the challenges and, and opportunities moving forward? And I suppose what are the challenges going deeper and deeper? Um, so like most areas, this is a very rural area. So the biggest challenge is um, social license to operate um, and ensuring that all of the, we're engaging all of our share stakeholders and making sure that everybody is re represented. And you also see within Victoria, um, traditional owners of the land are now begin beginning to be recognised um, within Victoria. And so we've begun working with them um, and so we're treating them like any other private landholder would, um, the local Tararung community. Um, they've recently been gazetted, so we begin working to understand um, what their concerns are and how we can work together with them to make sure that um, we have a good relationship going forward. Um, the other big opportunity, but also risk, is geology. So um, there's a reason why interest has been lost in the area, was lost for a long period, um, and that's because of the nugget effect. Um, you have within a lot of these deposits. So um, the average grade of these deposits can be average uh, at best until you just find the large area that blows out, the grade increases exponentially and, that, and it can be expensive um, trying to find these areas. So the potential there is that you, you can have these bonanza deposits, but it can be expensive and challenging trying to find them because there are a lot of structures. Um, you don't know what depth um, these grades can, can lift and drop at, um, but it, it's definitely a big risk and, and to put all these investment dollars in exploration, but um, the upside opportunity from uh, of that is, is phenomenal. Um, and so uh, personally, another risk we have is, is we're a relatively short mine life company. We've got about four years of reserves in front of us. We've had 
that for the last 10 years. Um, so personally, we do have to control our exploration spend to be looking near the operations, um, but also looking for these larger brand new deposits as well. Um, so there, there will be definitely obstacles to accessing this high grade gold um, that can lie hundreds of meters below the surface. Um, but it's definitely a risk uh, that we have to continue to invest in. Um, I'm pretty positive us and other companies within the state um, will have some significant success going forward, but we all have to ensure that we have the social license to continue to do this. Uh, that's the most critical thing. So ensuring that all of our stakeholders and community and residents are involved in this whole process going forward will be an advantage to um, us, Kirk and Lake, all of the existing operators and everybody new who's coming into the region. Yeah. And concluding, what's the sort of outlook for Mandalay Resources? Yeah, so Mandalay it, it, 2020 has been a phenomenal year for us. Um, so obviously we've got the gold price lifting, but it also corresponds um, to a period when we've doubled our production in the cost field mine in Victoria. So it, it speaks to... Um, what I talk about that these deposits can have very variable grades and you have to be patient to find the right thing. So um, we were 2020 um, with we were a company that prior to that we did have some rough years. We knew we had found this the yield deposit that we're mining now and we were mining towards it and we knew that our fortunes would lift significantly in 2020 as we start moving into extremely high grade, uh, becomes the extremely high grade mine. And so the outlook going forward, we do anticipate our production will grow next year as production continues to ramp up on, on your load. But we do think we will have um, further exploration success going forward. We just released last week on a continuation of growth within your, um, we will continue to drill even deeper there. But we are also exploring these brand new um, corridors that we've never drilled before. Um, probably the most significant being Brown's Robinson's corridor. Um, we will be putting out more information on going that going forward. And um, interestingly, it's drilling under old workings, again, within, within Victoria, um, which I think you'll see a lot of explorers doing going forward. Yeah, um, it's good to hear that you've had a good 2020. One question I was going to ask is, obviously, with COVID, and I know, obviously, Victoria has been very hard hit within Australia. How has that affected your, your company and your operations being in that state? Production-wise, it hasn't affected, affected us. Um, we put in, we were very quick off the mark, putting in um, controls and precautions at the sites, so controlling access to the site and everything. Within Victoria, the main outbreak has been within Melbourne, like COVID worldwide. It's within the <coughs> main population centres. Um, <clears throat> being a rural area in Victoria, it has not... It has not affected our production or our workforce, just tighter controls. Um, going over to the other side of the world, our other operation is in Sweden, and it, they've 
it's been quite well publicised um, that Sweden did put in less controls and um, did encourage um, industry to continue operating over this whole period. So we haven't shut down there at all either. Um, COVID, we did, due to early concerns, obviously, when people staying home, um, we did have less of a workforce early on, um, but since then, no, we haven't seen any impact in Sweden at all either. Okay, that's good to hear. Um, really appreciate your time, Dominic. If our audience wants to reach out to you, um, how can they go about doing that? And are you on any social media? Um, I'm not on too much on social media apart from LinkedIn, um, Mandalay Resources also has a LinkedIn page. Um, but you, our contact information is within our website. If you want to get a hold of our investor relations, um, feel free to reach out at any stage. Yes, certainly. And I'll put all these in the show notes as well, yeah. um, as well, accompanying this uh, podcast. Really appreciate your time. Really um, great to hear uh, an update from, from yourself and talking about the Victorian goldfields. And there seems to be a lot of opportunity for people that are already there like yourselves and potential investment coming into the, uh, coming into the air, which, which is probably needed as well. So uh, really appreciate you giving us an update. Um, and um, hopefully our listeners will, um, will listen and, um, and share, share this episode with other, other Victorians and other people within Australia. So um, really appreciate your time for that. Thank you for listening. Until next time, happy mining. Thank you for listening. Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry.